Hallelujah, Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning as we sang that you are our living hope, that you are living and moving and breathing, O oh God, and breathing into your people. In this day, Lord, I thank you that as your people, you don't call us just to look into another year mysteriously, but we look to you, Lord, and we look to your glory and your power and your majesty, Lord, your sovereignty. Over all things, your heart, O oh God, to move and minister and, and bring freedom and healing and wholeness and salvation. We thank you, Lord, that by your Spirit, you are on the move all around us and around our world. And we want to be on the move with you, Lord. We don't want to sit back, Lord, and just ask you to take care of us and nurse us and, and just placate us, O oh Lord, in whatever unbelief we choose to settle in. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you would agitate us. Lord, you would strengthen us. And, and Lord, help us to lift our eyes to you and who you are and, and what you are doing, Lord. And move into, Lord, that abundant life that you have promised that is found in, in partnering with you and bringing hope and light and joy and healing. We thank you, Lord, this morning that you are here to minister to your people you're here to speak to us and strengthen us and comfort us. You meet us exactly where we are, and you move with us. But, oh, Lord, I pray afresh by your Spirit. Bring us into wherever we may be. Let us be moving forward, Lord. Let us be walking. Let us have momentum, Lord, with you. We just thank you, O oh Lord, for the fruitfulness. Lord, for the joy, the fulfillment that you promise all those who walk with you. Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying, not just this morning, but for this year. What you're calling us to, O oh God, what you have prepared before us, that you want us, O oh Lord, to partake in, that you want us to share with others. We bless you, Lord. We bless you for your sweet spirit. We bless you for your loving heart toward your children. We bless you, O oh God, that you show yourself strong through those who believe, whether it's strength in struggle, O oh God, or strength in ministry, whatever it may be, we thank you that you show yourself strong in our weakness. You're so faithful. We just give ourselves to you afresh this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 The Lord bless you this morning. It's so good to be with you and so good to begin a new year with uh, just so much we feel the Lord is speaking to us and we I uh, just have a lot in store this coming year and into the spring and summer. We're just uh, looking forward to getting back on track with what the Lord again is doing all around us and how He's growing His people to be ministering people in a time like never before where there's a need for ministry. And uh, what better time could we be uh, looking forward to than today with all the needs around us and a God who's able to meet every need. Now, last week, for those who were here or tuned in, you may recall that we, we looked at uh, a number of passages in the Gospels that recorded Jesus' final words to his uh, followers before he left. We talked about how significant those words are. If you are leaving someone you're not going to see for a long time, per se, you're going to be giving thought to what you're saying. And in the same way, Jesus is going to be leaving these people, and so he's just sharing his final thoughts with them, what is, what is so important, the one thing he wants them to remember. Now, we call that the Great Commission, and another name for commission, of course, is just simply Assignment. And the, the assignment that Jesus gave to those followers, some 500 that were standing there before he ascended back into heaven, it was to make disciples. To make disciples. And we talked about how our challenge this year, reading needs to be a resolution more than ever 
to not just be a believer in Jesus, but to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to be somebody who is actually trained by the Holy Spirit. Can I encourage you, whatever your resolution may be, if you have not prayed about it, if you have not brought it before the Lord and laid it on the altar before the Lord, walk through it with Him, can I encourage you to maybe set it aside or at least resolve to come back into the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to give myself to this year? Because you see, there are a lot of good and lofty goals, a lot of goals that come to our mind, maybe born out of just a circumstance that we find ourselves in, and we say, I need to deal with that. But there can be a lot of goals that are nothing more than a distraction. We can settle for a lot of good things that are not the best of what the Lord has for us. And it doesn't mean that the Lord's goals for us don't, don't uh, uh, you know, envelop the natural realm, concern the natural realm as well. But we want to give ourselves to the things that the Lord is calling us to. Why? Because we want to be a disciple. We don't want to simply be someone who believes in the Lord and tries to live right. We want to be somebody who's actually trained, being trained by the Lord, being trained and stretched and empowered by the Holy Spirit so that there's fruitfulness in our life and we're tapping into the many things the Lord is doing all around us. Now, when we talk about discipleship or disciple, inherent in that word is discipline. Now, I know that a lot of people tend to buck at discipline because they look at discipline as kind of a drudgery. But you know what discipline is, I believe, simply? Discipline is the means by which we are able to do through training what we may not be able to presently do through trying. Does that make sense? Jason, what do you think? Sound good? It's being able to accomplish through training what maybe right now we cannot do, though we know we should do, through trying. For example, I've said this oftentimes, if I went outside to run a 5K, I might make it twice around the block if that, I'm not doing 5K. But I know this, if I give myself to training within 30 days, I'll run a 5K. I know I can do that. I've done it many times before. And it's the same way in the things of our walk with the Lord. You see, where many of us in the Western culture fall short and get frustrated in our walk with Christ is that we try to serve the Lord. We believe in the Lord and we have a sense of what we think we should do or not do, and we just try to do those things or try not to do those things. You will always fail. You will always be frustrated. You will always settle for just kind of this pseudo-faith. What we are called to do, Jesus says, is to train yourself in righteousness. Train yourself in right living. Train yourself with Jesus so that he is actually living his life through you. Now, over these next few months, we're going to be exploring subjects that really provide a framework for being a disciple of Jesus. And foundational to that framework is one simple word that I want to share with us this morning and probably over these next couple weeks, and that is the word repentance. You say that with me? Repentance. Now turn to your neighbor and say, repent. Oh, you enjoyed that, didn't you? Okay. Well, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke is uh, recounting, the, recounting the story of John the Baptist, and we pick up in verse 7. Here's what you read, verses 7 to 14. Luke writes that John kept preaching to the many crowds who came out to be baptized. You are nothing but the offspring of venomous snakes. Talk about a way to clear the house. Full of deception. Who warned you to repent before the coming wrath of God? Then turn away from your sins, turn to God, and let what? Your changed life be proof. Don't think for a moment it's enough to simply be favored descendants of Abraham. That's not enough to save you. I'm telling you, God could make more sons of Abraham out of stones if he chose to. 
Even now God's axe of judgment is poised to chop down your barren, your barren tree right down to its roots. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be leveled and thrown into the fire. The crowd kept asking him, what then are we supposed to do? John told them, give food to the hungry, clothe the poor, and bless the needy. Even the despised tax collectors came to John to be baptized, and they asked him, what are we to do to prove our hearts have changed? Be honest, he replied. Don't demand more taxes than what the law requires. And us? Asked some soldiers. What about us? John answered, be content with what you earn. Never exhort money or terrify others by threats of violence or be guilty of accusing the innocent. Now, John's charge to that crowd that was listening that day was very simple. He said, turn away from sin, turn to God, and let your, li let your changed life be proof. What I want us to understand this morning when we talk about repentance is that repentance is change. The essence of repentance is that it is reformation. Now, if you look around us, you see there are many doors around this sanctuary. Repentance is kind of like the doors. You walk through the doors in order to enter the sanctuary and to enjoy whatever's going on in ministry in this sanctuary. In the same way, repentance is not just an end in itself. Repentance is actually a grace gift that God has given to you and me that actually brings us into the bigger picture of what the Lord has for your life. Now, I know for a lot of us in our culture, repentance conjures up these ideas or these images of maybe this hellfire brimstone preacher. Or maybe somebody downtown wearing sackcloth and, 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 and carrying a sign that says the end is near. Or maybe some of us a bit more biblical. We think of, a, of the apostle Peter when he denied Jesus three times. And the Bible says afterward, after he'd done that, he heard the rooster crow, remembered the words of Jesus, and he went out and wept bitterly. Another translation says that he cried painfully after denying the Lord. And each of those things do carry an element of repentance. We do, for example, need to get right with God. We do need to be sorry for our sin. The end is near, in case we've forgotten, just as the Scripture says. And yet, as we see in Peter, that emotional response for his sin was still a long way away from the day when Peter actually became everything Jesus knew he could be which was a rock, Jesus had said. And so as we look at repentance, I want us to understand that repentance is not primarily just a quick escape out of a spiritual type spot. Repentance is a continuous reshaping of my life. By the time we finish this morning, I hope all of us will embrace the discipline, the grace gift of repentance. And understand that repentance is not only the means that brings me to salvation, repentance is the mean by which I continue to grow in everything this gift of salvation is supposed to be. Now, we've talked about it many times in the past, but in the Greek language, the language in which the New Testament was written, the word repentance is the word metanoia. Metanoia is a compound word. Meta means after. Noia means to perceive or to understand. In other words, repentance or metanoia has to do with how your heart responds after your mind or your spirit has perceived or understood what God is saying to you. Does that make sense? Repentance is what you do. That's so key. Repentance is how you respond to what it is the Lord 
has shown you. Now, don't bother raising your hand, but in our culture, one of the detrimental things I find, and one of the one of the evidences that we really lack oftentimes understanding of discipleship is for so many people, when the Lord speaks to us, we tend to have this attitude of, of well, that's, you know, that's, that's a good thought. Or, yeah, that makes sense. But we oftentimes view what God speaks to us as optional, kind of like a suggestion. And, and so we want to live a certain way for a while. We want to do certain things our own way, whatever it may be. We know what the Lord says, but it's kind of like, yeah, I know, but given where I am and what I prefer right now or what I'm going through, what I think is the better way, I'll just kind of tuck that way for, you know, away for later. That, that's kind of, I wouldn't even say that's really being a believer, but if anything, that's just kind of embracing the Christian lifestyle. That is not being a disciple of Jesus Christ. That is not an attitude that is ever going to bring you into what it is the Lord wants to grow you in and how it is the Lord actually want to use you in the days and months and the years to come. And so metanoia, what's that about? It's what repentance is what you do after you understand what God is showing you. You see, if Jesus Christ is really Lord of my life, what that means is that when I know that he has spoken to me, in whichever way he may choose, through the written word, by his Holy Spirit, or prompting, whatever, when Jesus Christ has spoken to me, if he is Lord, what's my response? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You see, when your spouse is kind of getting on your nerves, uh, and it's probably, guys, if it's you, it's your fault, okay? I don't say that lightly, but women are much more perceptive. So if she's upset with you, you know, odds are you've probably done something wrong. Now, but the point is this. I see all the guys getting real cuddly all of a sudden. He's right, dear. He's right. But you see, the point is, I have to choose to do what I know the Lord is saying to me. If the Lord, like I've had times when I've gone to prayer and I've said, Lord, you know, Vanessa's really, uh, you know, driving me nuts. And, and the Holy Spirit just gently, you know, cozies up to me and says, Paul, you're being a jerk. I mean, different words, but that kind of message. But you see, I have a, I have a choice because the Lord wants me to live in freedom. The Lord recognizes where the enemy's at work and the Lord says, okay, Paul, now here's what you need to do. You see, what repentance does or lordship does is says, okay, Lord, despite what I feel, despite what the, you know, logical thing may be out here, you know, I can justify what I'm doing. Instead, because I know what you're saying to me, my response is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I will humble myself. Yes, Lord, I will apologize. Yes, Lord, I'll repent. Whatever it may be, that's the essence of repentance. It's what you do after you understand what God is showing you or what God is saying to you. Now, Eugene Peterson, he was the, uh, the one who wrote the uh, message paraphrase Bible. He was a pastor and, and Bible teacher. He had a great uh, description for revival. His definition of revival is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And friends, I believe that personal revival happens in our lives. Personal revival is sustained in our lives when we discipline ourselves to act on what the Lord is showing us. That's where the growth comes. That's where we have new experiences. That's when things encourage us to grow even more. And we see that the Lord's ways actually work. Now, before I address exactly what we are to do when it comes to repentance, I want to distinguish between what the Bible calls repentance that leads to life and repentance that leads to salvation. You see, a very important distinction is that getting saved and salvation are not one and the same thing. 
Getting saved that moment when I recognize in my heart by the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I'm not walking with God, I'm walking my own way, I'm walking away from God, God is not in my life, and should I die without him, I am headed to an eternity in hell. When I understand that, then I understand I need to be saved from where I am. I need to be rescued from where I am. That's what it means to be saved. It means to be snatched out of the kingdom of darkness and brought in the kingdom of light by placing my faith in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. You see, a lot of times we forget how great a Savior He is because we forget how lost we were without Him. And so He saved me. But you see, salvation is different in that salvation is what I now live in as a Christian. Salvation is this gift that God has given to all who are saved, and now I live in the benefits of salvation. And I grow in that freedom, and I grow in that understanding of all the good things that salvation has brought to my life. For example, in Acts chapter 11, if you're taking notes, in Acts chapter 11, Peter's referring to a group of people who placed their faith in Jesus for the first time. They were meeting at a home of a man named Cornelius. And Peter says that God granted them, quote, repentance that leads to life. In other words, on that day, they were saved from their sin at a specific point of time. Okay, now let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul, in this verse, is writing to Christians. He's writing to believers, people who have been saved. And he's writing to commend them in the second letter uh, for having obeyed what he said, the first letter. He said, hey, you guys did what I told you to do in the first letter. And he goes on and says this in that context. He says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Well, in other words, what he's saying is that the godly sorrow that you showed when I wrote you those things and you realized, man, we weren't living the right way. We weren't doing the right things, but now we're going to do that. He says that kind of sorrow, that remorse for what you've done wrong, he said, is what, brought, what has brought you into salvation. It's brought you more into all it is that the Lord has for you. So, revelation plus remorse plus response is what brings you into the abundant life that Jesus promised. You see, a lot of Christians get frustrated and wonder, you know, why don't I live that abundant life that I read about in the Word? Why don't I see those things in my life that I'm supposed to see? And the reality is because we've embraced, again, a lifestyle, we've not embraced Jesus. We've embraced a belief system, but we are not being personally trained by Jesus to be his disciple. We've embraced enough that we're comfortable with and feel, okay, this makes me a good Christian. I, I mean, I got to live a normal life like anybody else. I try not to do anything bad, but, you know, the Lord doesn't expect a lot of me. We kind of embrace that rather than, rather than my measure being, Lord, what did you do in this world? Okay, that's what I'm called to do. Why? Because you live in me, you want to live your life through me. In other words, I want my spiritual antennae up as I move through the day, and I want you to be able to continue to do through me those things that you came to do. That's understanding what salvation is really all about. The Bible says in Psalm 84, verse 11, God does not refuse any good thing to those who do what is right. Now, he's not talking about those who earn things from God because you're doing what is right, but he's saying God does not withhold anything that he has from you when you learn to step into a lifestyle that actually acts on the things the Lord is speaking to you about. 
When you do what it is the Lord is showing you, just like the sanctuary doors, it opens the door for you, and you're able to come and sit at the table of what the Lord has for you and enjoy those things. Does that make sense? We used to sing an old song, Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed, and he invites his chosen people, what? Come and dine. Come and dine. And a lot of believers oftentimes think, that I just don't, I don't dine. Like, like I'm, I'm kind of serving the Lord, I'm trying to do my best, but I'm not really enjoying my faith. I'm not growing in new things. I'm not experiencing anything supernatural in or through my life. And the reason is so often is because we're just outside the door. We can kind of hear the music. We can hear the joy. We can hear the things the Lord is doing, but we are not entering into it. And the reason we're not entering into it is because we're not doing the things the Lord is speaking to us about to do. I don't mean just ministry stuff. I just mean the things he's calling us to as he works in our own hearts. For those who say, Lord, I'm not going to consider your word to me optional anymore. When you speak, I'm going to say, yes, Lord. I'm going to grow in those things. I'm going to be stretched in those things. The Lord says, then that door is open for you, and the Lord will not withhold any good thing from you. And so it's important we understand that repentance is not about just keeping me from hell. It's about God loving me so much that he wants to rid my life of all those things that actually bring emptiness into my life. But the key is I have to respond when he shows me these things or there's not going to be any change. And that applies to every one of us. Now, going back to this passage to wrap up this morning, in Luke chapter 3, John preached his message, and the people recognized they weren't living the right way. They recognized there were issues in their hearts that weren't right. And so they asked the question, John, what are we supposed to do? And the first thing John says, this is one thing we need to do, I believe, when it comes to repentance, at least it's outlined in these scriptures. John keeps it very simply, says in verse 11, give food to the hungry, clothe the poor, and bless the needy. What's he talking about? I believe John is addressing the basic selfishness that grips every single one of our lives, even as believers in Christ. You see, I tend to think that I'm a pretty generous person, or I hope that I am. Or, or I hope I'm kind toward people that, that maybe have need that I encounter once in a while. But I also recognize that there's this selfishness in me that fails to appreciate how much I have. I've said this many times before, but friends, however little you may think you have, compared to most of the population of our world today, you live as kings and queens. We are more than blessed. We have so much. And yet there's this basic selfishness that wants to grip my heart as I walk through my life that fails to recognize how much I do have, also that tends to dwell on how much somebody else has or what I don't have, right? I heard many years ago someone describe gratitude as, or, or yeah, gratitude as uh, being thankful. Uh, I guess, just, I forget now. Oh, no, it's this. It's it's wanting what you already have. That's, that's interesting. It's not just being thankful for what you have. It's actually wanting it. You see the difference? Because when I want what I have and appreciate that, I'm not wanting what somebody else has. I appreciate what I have, and I use that for the good. Well, let me break it down to where we live. If you're like me, we, we tend to kind of map out our week. 
We map out our month. We map out our year. I was talking to one pastor a while ago. He said, I got my sermons all planned for 2022. <laughs> I didn't know whether to congratulate him or smack him. I don't know if that's necessarily how God works, but hey, yeah, well, good on you. But you see, what we can do, what I know I can do, is I know the stuff I've basically got to do through the course of the week. And I know other things I might like to do or I'm looking forward to, you know. And if I'm not careful, I take all the things that the Lord has given me, all the opportunities, all the gifts, whatever the case may be, and I kind of map out what it is that I want to do this week. You know, I look forward to the weekend, or in my case, I look forward to Monday. You know, you look forward to the weekend, but I do look forward to the weekend. But see, we, we kind of have it all sketched out. And if we're not careful, we, we kind of live for ourselves. We live onto ourselves, and we become oblivious of all there is all around us that God sees, that God is doing. We become oblivious to the reason for which God gave me what he gave me, entrusted to me. And like James says, I begin to consume these things upon myself. And that's why sometimes I don't experience that abundance, that joy, what the Lord has for me, because whatever the Lord gives to me, it's like the Dead Sea, it just kind of stops there. Does that make sense? And so this element of repentance is this acknowledgement that I recognize that all that I have is of the Lord, it's from the Lord, small or great. But I have to have an attitude of heart that says, Lord, when you speak to me, I'm going to respond. When you say, take this and give it away, when you say, yeah, I know you need that, but this person does more right now. Can you trust me and give it to them? I'll take care of you. You see, repentance, that, that ongoing, you know, growing in the things of the Lord, in my walk with the Lord, has to do with me refusing just to live for myself, however much, however little I may have. And say, Lord, when you speak to me, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. I'm going to give things away to break that cycle of selfishness. And friends, none of us are immune to him. So I want to ask you once again, as you move into the new year and you make your resolution, ask yourself, have I made these resolutions in consultation with the Lord? I'll never forget when I was young in ministry. We were lining up ministries, and back then you were preaching three, four times a week. It was crazy. You're doing everything. I remember going to this one lady, a godly lady, and I said, I said, uh, you know, I just really feel you'd be gifted in this area. Would you mind giving oversight to such and such a thing? And she said this. I couldn't believe it. She said, I'll ask the Lord if I'm allowed to, and I'll get back to you. <laughs> How do you argue with that? But it taught me such a lesson at that moment. She wasn't saying I'm too good to do it because she demonstrated she'd do anything she could to serve. But she recognized that even her time was a gift from God. And she had to ask the Lord first, Lord, do you want me to give myself to this? Or is it going to be a distraction from something else you want me to give myself to? And I want to encourage you to go into the new year to have that same attitude. Okay, let me get through the next two. The tax collector speaks up in verse 12. What are we to do, they say, to prove, once again, that word is key, to prove our hearts have changed. Now, Luke actually refers to him as the despised tax collectors. I won't go into great detail. Most of us are familiar with the system back in Jesus' day. But essentially, a tax collector was somebody who approached the government for the privilege, the opportunity of being a tax collector because they knew you'd make a lot of money. And so they would go and they would, make, they would place bids, and the Roman government would select somebody for various reasons to collect the taxes. Now, what's different in our system, generally speaking, is that we know how many taxes we are paying. I kind of chuckle. I, I shouldn't put an age group on that, but I was 
just say I was talking to someone younger than me, and they were just talking about our free health care system. <laughs> and once I stopped laughing and said that we give away half our income for this free health care system, you don't realize how it works. But you see, we generally have a sense of how much taxes we pay. We know we pay 15% and so on, harmonized sales tax and so on. But you see, in Jesus' day for the tax collectors, one of the reasons they were so hated was because the average person had no idea how much tax the government was requiring the collectors to collect. And so the government might have said, we want 5% from everybody. But the tax collector comes and says, no, the government wants 15%. You see? Because he was going to charge whatever he knew he could get away with because he got to keep all the profits. As long as the government got their portion, there was no questions asked. So they became very, very wealthy people. And of course, because they worked for the government, who was the sworn enemy, the Roman government, they became very wealthy, but they were also very hated. And so when they ask how to prove that they truly have changed, John keeps it simple. Verse 13, be honest. Don't demand more taxes than what the law requires. You say, well, how does that relate to me? Very simple. Just like the average person didn't know, only the tax collector knew what the authority required of them. In the same way, friends, only you know what God is asking of you. Nobody else knows. Nobody. Only you know what God is dealing with in your heart. Only you know what God is calling you to. You see, I can quite easily, I'm not saying I'm fooling anybody, but I can pretty easily, yourself included, live in such a way that most people think everything's okay. And everything might be okay on the outside, and I'm living that way, and everybody's happy with that. Hey, he's a good Christian, a good example. And yet the whole time know that in my heart, I'm compromising. I don't mean sinning. I mean I'm settling for so much less than what I know God's saying to me. Do you know what I'm saying? You see? I can look around and everybody can say, well, he's doing this and this and this. He must be doing okay. And yet the reality is when I die, I'm not going to be standing in front of you. I'm going to stand in front of the God the one who made me, the one who gifted me, the one who spoke to me in the quietness of my heart, the one who promised to be with me, to empower me, to work through me, to do the things he's called me to, that's the one I'm standing before, and that's the one from whom I want to hear, well done, Paul. Well done. You were faithful in what I spoke to you. You see, I don't have to worry how my life, and friends, I mean this in all sincerity, and I have to confront this once in a while. I don't have to worry about how any other Christian is doing compared to me. I don't have to hear how, I worry about how gifted any other pastor is compared to me. I don't have to do that. In the integrity of my heart, I have to honestly be able to say that when I hear God speak to me, I say, yes, Lord. Even if I don't feel qualified, if I don't know how he's going to do that, if it's something I've never done before, I know how the Holy Spirit is dealing with me, and you know what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And I want to encourage you as you move into this new year, and I'm really looking forward to some things we'll be sharing uh, relatively soon, and, and, and just some ministry things, equipping things that we, have, that we have planned. But I really want to encourage you to get along with the Lord and say, Lord, if you don't know already, what are you saying to me? 
Or maybe there's some things the Lord has spoken to you and you've let those dreams die or you've let those words kind of fall to the wayside, but yet they come back to your mind. You need to pick those things back up. Come before the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for measuring myself against others. Because when I measure myself against others, not only might I be discouraged, but more often than not, I become content with where I am. Well, I may not be perfect, but I'm not like them, right? I mean, I know I, I don't obey everything, but you know what? At least I'm doing this or this, or I'm involved. In, look, Lord, I'm involved in this. And kind of like that lady back in the church, the Lord might say, I never gave you permission to do that. Oh, I know you're doing some good stuff. I never asked you to do that. You're wasting time. You're allowing yourself to be distracted because you know what you're not doing. And that's what you're measured against. Not in a harsh way, but again, that thing is the doorway for the Lord to bring you into that bigger picture of what he has for you. That's what I love about some of the things the Lord's done in our midst is that the Lord has really, I think, freed us in a lot of ways from worrying about comparing ourselves to each other. It's not about what we're doing ministry-wise, gifted-wise. It's just that all of us are committed to one thing, is that we want to walk the walk of faith. We want to walk in such a way that we need Jesus that we need to rely on him, that we need to be in his presence, that we need his equipment, his passion, his ministry flowing through us if it's going to happen. Whatever that may be, I've said it a thousand times, whether the Lord prompts you to bake some cookies and go next door, that's just as powerful as saying, hey, I want you to go downtown and raise the dead. Just as powerful. Because you see, the key is obedience. The key is just thousands of believers just being available wherever the Lord says, I'm working here, be there, I'm working here, be there. I need someone to talk to that person, do that. That's what it's about. It's not the stuff that we measure in success in our own eyes. It's being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And the Lord wants us to understand, just like those Roman soldiers. He says, whatever position I've placed you in, whatever gift I've given you, use it to build people up. Use it to encourage people. Don't ever exploit people. Don't ever fall into the foolishness of a wicked culture that uses celebrity, uses your power to somehow put people down. That's not my kingdom. In fact, again, one of the things I love about the kingdom is it's not about celebrity. As I've said a thousand times, I'm only up here so you can see me. That's it. But I'm right down here. We're all together in this, friends. We're all together. We're walking with the same Lord. We're all growing. We're all making mistakes. The Lord has just given us different gifts, different responsibilities. He has given a variety within his body to get the work done. And in fact, the greater you are in the kingdom, Jesus said it over and over again, then the, the more humble you will be. You will wash the feet. Why? Because you will realize he has given you maybe a position. He's given you some celebrity, for lack of a better word. Why? That you can encourage people. When I was in youth ministry many, many years ago, I had a simple challenge for our young people almost every single week. It was simply this. Look, all you got to do is not complicated. All you got to do is break away from this, this lie that I've got to break into the next group at school. I just want to be part of the popular kids. I just want to hang around with them, 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 whatever the case may be. Stop, turn around, and I promise you, somebody will be looking at you and want to be part of your group. There will be somebody behind you that's saying, I'd like to hang out with them. Or maybe they don't even know you, but they're sitting by themselves at the cafeteria table. Just think the difference you can make if you would stop striving to be what the world says is important and recognize the gifts you have and just turn around and just love somebody, relate to somebody. 
The Lord doesn't want us to use our gifts that he's given us, our position, whatever it may be. It may be your social status, your intellect. It may be your physical attractiveness. Whatever it is, be grateful for it. But as he said to the Roman soldiers, don't use your position to exploit or put other people down. And on the other hand, if you don't feel like you have any special traits, then don't stand around sulking all day and pitying yourself trying to manipulate people. Take responsibility for what God has given you. Take responsibility for how the Lord wants to reveal his strength through you. Don't waste your life blaming other people or other circumstances. If things were different, then maybe God could use me. The Lord says in 2 Corinthians 12, my power shows up best in weak people. In weak people. If you don't think you've got anything great, then say thank you, Lord, because whatever you're going to do through me, they're going to see it's you. In fact, one of the reasons for many people who are gifted in the way that we look at gifts one of the reasons it takes the Lord so much time to actually reshape and refine and break is to get us to the place that he can use us because it's so easy to rely on our own gifts or talents, whatever it may be. So when John says, be content with what you earn, he's saying, accept the role that God has placed you in and be faithful in that. Be disciplined, be faithful in that and the Lord will promote you. Don't complain, but train. Be a disciple. I'm going to ask the musicians to join me before we go to the Lord's table in conclusion this morning. But let me just say really quickly that repentance, again, it's not a one-time experience. It's those three things we see that Luke talks about, that John talks about. Number one, repentance is a constant confronting of my selfishness. It's saying, Lord, every breath I breathe is a gift. What are you doing this week? Lord, here's what I have going on, but what are you doing in the midst of that? I want to hear you. I want to be led by you. Second, repentance is a regular resolve to deal with those things that only me and God can see. Don't take your cues or measures from anybody else. In the quietness of your own heart, with your Bible, with your journal, write down what the Lord is saying to you. That is the only measure of your success. Am I obeying what the Lord is speaking to me? And number three, Repentance is a faithfulness in the role that God has given me without complaint. If you do that, you will grow in what the Lord has for you. If you do that, you will experience a personal revival that will be sustained as the Lord continues to reshape your life. Edwin Orr put the beautiful prayer to song, and he wrote these words. Search me, O God. And know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, and know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Everything God the Father has ever done or is doing is for the sole purpose of bringing you and me closer to Himself everything he does and everything he speaks to us is for that purpose to draw us to himself to hear from him to respond to him and to continue to move in this whole beautiful gift this life called salvation live in the freedom for which you've been set free and the way that we do that is to exercise in the greatest gift God has given us as believers, 
and that is that grace gift of repentance. To hear and to respond. To hear and to respond. And we just continue to grow. If you have the emblem this morning, if you received it when you walked in, if you don't have one, just raise your hand and we will, we will get one to you. We're going to partake in the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Before we do, I'm going to ask Pastor Kristen just to sing that song over us once. Search me, O God. And as this song is being sung, would you just make it your prayer this morning? Would you allow those words just to wash over you? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I hope that I've explained enough what it is that you need to do. The Bible says, turn away from the road you're walking, away from God. Turn to Him and allow Him to come into your life and change your life. Allow Him to save you from the destruction you're headed toward. And you do that by repentance, by saying, God, I understand now, and I want to do what you say to do. I turn to you. And if you're a believer this morning, and you're honest and saying, I really haven't lived the abundant life, I want to ask you, have you moved from just being a believer to being a disciple, to being someone who is trained by Jesus, that the things that he speaks to you about, that your attitude is, even though I don't know how you're going to do it, Lord. My attitude is yes. I will do that. I will do that. And he begins to release life and freedom in us. Let's just allow the Holy Spirit to deal with our hearts, whatever it may be that you need to surrender to him this morning or lay hold of as you listen to the words of this. Thank you for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, contact info at gtmoncton.com. Follow us on social media at GT Moncton or check out our website, gtmoncton.com. Have a great week and God bless.